hello listeners and welcome to this. This is the first Unions 21 podcast. Thanks ever so much for joining us. I'm Simon Sapper and with me is... Becky Wright, the Director of Unions 21. Hello, Simon. Uh, hello, Becky. Good to see you. <laughs> Have you had a good summer? I don't know where the summer went. It's September and it's dreary, which I'm kind of quite pleased about because I get to wear coats. Well, that's true. But it's not so dreary, is it? Not for us in the trade union world because we have... Well, there's been lots going on over the summer and lots yeah. to come. We'll talk about that in a while later. But does anything... Since you've been back yeah. from your summer sojourn, have you noticed anything <laughs> particularly? One thing I noticed... Um, two things I noticed, really. The, the, fir- the first was was to say well done to Jill Walton, the new Chief Executive of the Royal College of Midwives, Strong Unions 21 supporter. That's... Yeah. Uh, that's really good to see that appointment, and yeah. uh, you know that's a, that's a union that's really got its work cut out, but does it very effectively. That's the first thing, and the second thing was Francis O'Grady's real kind of hard hitting, as always, article from the papers at the weekend in the Guardian about Brexit and the perils of, uh, of Brexit. Um, which I think has set the scene, really, in a way, hasn't it? Yeah, I think there's two things that we want to be thinking about kind of going forward. The first one is obviously Brexit, and t- uh, today is the... So as we're, as we're recording, is um, the Brexit's being debated over in Parliament and Parliament's back, and we saw some MPs yesterday, and they were already gearing up for the... Uh, yeah. inevitable discussions that are going to take place yeah. and, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later on in terms of what uh, we're doing but I definitely think uh, and also what's coming up at Congress uh, this year uh, very much have to also say congrats to Jill we met her on her first day of work yesterday as the new chief exec of the RCM and uh, she's coming to Congress and it'll be really great for union people to meet her and to uh, welcome her into the trade union movement because she comes from the professional side but from what I gather she's really keen and interested in the work of the trade union side for those uh, listeners who don't know the RCM uh, is both a professional college and a trade union so it makes for a quite interesting dynamic in terms of the services and the uh, the work that they put out and also today which is the uh, as we record is the launch of the national education union which is the proto merger between atl the association of teachers and lecturers and the nut which is teachers. long overdue uh, i suppose i can say that long overdue <laughs> rationalization in in teaching <laughs> unions no disrespect to anyone intended uh, at all there but but i mean clearly i mean clearly the neu is is you know is going to be a force to re- to be reckoned with yeah i think um i think the way that the two unions have approached the merger is going to be really interesting and definitely something that we're going to want to keep an eye on for a learning uh curve for other unions i've i've been part of two union mergers simon how many union mergers have you um, been part of um well, it depends whether you talk about mergers that are just the, the merger and there's the date, or whether the merger process lasts a while longer. But uh, so I, I would say I would say kind of um, two or three yeah, probably. I, I, mm. I've been involved in two, and I think the thing that I am really looking forward to with the NEU merger is actually the length of time that they're taking, they're giving themselves to merge and to bed in, because it has always seemed to me that that actual final merging process kind of comes first and then everything else gets I agree. sorted yeah. out later um, and in this case they're notionally merging that's what I call proto-merge it's, yeah, it, it's yeah, the okay. first step and then uh, that you've got some final merging coming later on but actually I, I do have to say I took a look at the branding the other day and I think it is 
pretty snazzy and very nice. So definitely go on their website and have a little look of, of the look of what they're kind of going for. It's kind of I would say they're going for um, professional because obviously they've got a lot well all their members are professional but but by that I mean it's just looks very snazzy and professional well, looking and yet very caring and kind of forward looking and all that kind of stuff well image I mean imagery and and, and, and iconography is really important uh, I, I think and it's as much as it's important to have a new look a bold new look for a new venture or a, rebr- a re- rebranding I remember years ago talking to uh, to Roger Poole sadly no longer with us about the process that brought unison together uh, and he said one of the most important things there was, was that Nalgo New Picosi, they, they, they dropped their icons. They all identified symbols that, that really defined them, and they just said, right, we're going to get rid of those, and we're going to concentrate on the future. And it's mm. interesting, this whole idea about iconography, yeah. and whether actually these symbols of the past are, are you know, rallying symbols, or whether actually they hold us back. I mean, that's a subject for another podcast entirely, Well, it, it is, but I would say, if, if any listeners are interested, uh, Rob Yeldon from the Chartered Society of Physiotherapists did a really fantastic blog post for us a while back on tribal identities and unions yes that and, was a good read and i i loved it i, I mean i it, it, this is my uh, bag in terms of union movement and kind of academic discourse but i definitely would say they're trying to build their tribe and you can definitely feel that by the way they're approaching it from their comms side so it'd be interesting to see what goes on uh in the future and that blog if you want to find it by, by Robbie Eldham is on our, our website which is www.unions21.org.uk but to turn to matters to hand we are on the cusp of the annual trade union congress congress yes <laughs> well like it sounds like you like it <laughs> I so. love congress well, like, he doesn't love congress well, like, I'm a geek I, I, well, like, I like congress as well and I, <laughs> I don't think I'm a geek but people look at me like I am a geek when I say I like congress but, so but um, embrace the geek yeah absolutely embrace gosh the geek. um so, I mean, you know, fantastic range of motions. I mean, I, you know, I, I, love the, uh, I love the Nautilus International motion about people who work on super yachts. I never knew that was such a thing, let alone it employs super so many people. Yachts. And the brilliant, the brilliantly named Union, Artists Union of England, and their fantastic motion about 1% for art. I just, this is, you know, I think we should all get behind this. But, <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, they, these are... These are Niche interests, I suppose you could say. But what, what's, caught, what's caught your eye from the Congress agenda? He says, knowing yeah. what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, I don't think... I, I mean, super yachts is really interesting, but it wasn't the thing that caught my eye immediately. I mean, I was, I'll just preface this all by saying that the economy is really important. But as an old industrial organiser um, and somebody that's kicked around a few unions and been at the TUC, there's one most, there's one section that I always look to, which is the stronger, un- stronger unions section. Uh, and there's some really interesting stuff in there that I want to highlight. Yeah, there is. There is, yes. Definitely um, to think about. And also the Brexit section, which I think surely is on everybody's uh, minds at the moment both how we navigate this internally as a movement and also what we say outside of the movement. Well, let, I mean, let, let, let's pop Brexit, if you like, for, yeah. for, for, from a, because, because there's, 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 there's so much to say on, on that. Yeah. Um, not just in terms of Congress, but in terms of what we've been doing in Unions 21. And the stronger union stuff. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I mean, you look at the headings for the motions, like valued workers and stuff like that. It just gives an indication about where, where, where unions are coming from. And I, I, mean, I, I thought the motion from my own former union, CWU, was, was really, really interesting. But in, yeah. terms of, in, terms of, in terms of almost taking this balkanised industrial landscape that we've got and saying no this is no longer fit for purpose if it ever was 
we need to do something different. This is this is this is interesting. So, I mean, if you're listening to this and you are able to get to the CWGNB fringe meeting, which is on the Monday night at Congress, that's going to be that's going to be worth listening to. I think very much so. Yeah, I'm a bit gutted. I'm going to miss that. I have to say, um, I, I I've. I think the way the motions are laid out is really interesting as well from a geek perspective because the first one, as it as you would look through your uh, Congress guide, as I'm sure you're all flicking through the pages now to have a look at, is, um, is about the value of trade unionism by the NASUWT. I think that's really interesting because it uh, calls for a, a renewed commitment or it reasserts, Congress reasserts its commitment to extending the reach of trade unions within the work for workplaces and to support affiliates to prioritise. So I think that's really interesting. That's about, to me, to say, yes, this is really important. We all know it's really important and gives some um, guidance about where the TUC might put its... But, but also, it's a, it's a, sorry to cut across you, it's an acknowledgement, isn't it, that, that actually as a movement, we can do anything we want if we put our mind to it, but we can't do everything we want. And we're, we're too busy trying to do everything we want. And we yeah. just, just the maths don't, doesn't work out. We, we have to prioritise what we're doing, but it is important to sometimes say, look, these, these are our priorities and uh, we must not forget that these are our priorities. What I find really interesting is in the following two motions, to me, almost like the NASUWT motion is an introduction and then the CW motion is like the main guts of the piece. And then you've got a fantastic little motion from the PFA about collective bargaining, good for football and good for all, which I'm, I'm tickled by it because I just love the whole idea of, of uh, just everybody just, turning it, up to football. It's a, great, it's a great narrative. It it's is a, a great narrative. narrative. But seriously, it's a great narrative because, as you say, the and, and well done to the Conference Arrangements Committee or whoever it was, put the agenda together yeah. on, on this one. And let's hope they all get reached and discussed because, you, as you say, you've got the opening position statement. Yeah. You have got a really gutsy, detailed yeah, uh, yeah. Motion, motion from the CWU that, yeah. took, that, that really sets out the landscape. And then you take it right down to specifics that most people can relate to, which is this is what, what matters in a sector, in an industrial sector like yeah. fo- like football, yeah. that has huge reach yeah, and resonance absolutely. amongst the trade union movement. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that the CW motion, which has got, I should say, has also got an addendum from the Society of Radiographers. Um, just really, I think it actually it really hits some of the nail on the head in terms of how we need to be thinking and where we need to be thinking in the future which to put a small plug on it is one of our projects this year is on the future of great minds great minds great minds it's like you know any of us that have been thinking quite hard about this are thinking oh what does this mean and and actually you know what i really like is there is an acknowledgement that it's about cooperation and improving our methods and effectiveness so actually harnessing our internal capacity and the things that we've got control over that we can kind of do to think about where we're going to move forward um which and also to think about young workers but i don't think that's sort of just the the main focus I think focusing young workers is really important and it should always happen and as somebody who's been a young worker and young worker in the union movement I would absolutely uh welcome all of those efforts but there is also that kind of broader scope that we can't lose sight of as well in terms of well what industries are we going into next or you know how are we moving into different ones and there's a final line which is improving the scope and reach of collective and sectoral bargaining which i love because it then goes on to the pfa's motion 
Well, it, it, it does. It, it absolutely does. It, there's a natural bridge. But also, the whole concept of sexual bargaining, I think, is very much at the fore. Yeah. Because, he said, providing a link to Brexit. Right? Because yeah. what we're talking about, about, about managing Brexit, the managing the Brexit process, unions being at the centre of the Brexit, Brexit debate, is sex-level bargaining with employers. Yeah, yeah. And I think we can't lose sight of the fact that we can get members, but we need recognition deals and we need collective bargaining. Absolutely. So, you know, there's, there's so much you can do externally as a campaigning organisation. And then there is the kind of the day-to-day nuts and bolts of collective bargaining and of that representation of, of workers at either a plant-based level, so at a workplace level or even at a sectoral level. And I think that's going to be almost just as key when it's completely linked into organising uh, members. It's the, the two things are inextricably linked. You can't just get members and not at least try for collective bargaining because that's kind of what our reson amongst other things that's one of our well, or, organizationally it's crucial yeah. because you, you you can't have an individualized membership base yeah. because then then you then officials reps officials whether at local regional na- national level end up end up being the representative for bargaining units of one person yeah, yeah, every, and that, every time. That's and, not and sustainable. You, you can't do, you, you, no. best rule in the world, you, you can't do it. That's not, to say that, that's not to say we shouldn't take members wherever we can recruit them and guide them. And there's stuff that we can do for, for them. And obviously, case law is made on the basis of individual cases. So that's, yeah. you know, that's you know, the Uber case that the GMB won uh, at the back end of last year being, a, being an excellent case yeah, in point. Yeah. So, so it, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all sort, sort of thing. But yes, this, is, this has got to be... The, the priority and and I think so I think that the PFA's um, motion when you look at the kind of the wording is really nice I like it Congress believes that in many other industries unions do not have the same kind of favourable environment to mitigate against the worst excesses of bad employers and sadly this has led to the growth of insecure work that is now that now urgently needs to be addressed and I think that if you said you know a, a union that you would automatically associate with kind of solidarity with, with other industries. You probably wouldn't pick the PFA. People wouldn't necessarily think of the footballers, like in that context. But I love the fact that they're saying, "Well, look, this kind of works for us, and we benefit as a yeah. as as a group of workers. We benefit from this." But we recognise that not everybody has that same favourable environment as us, and we want Congress to help unions to get that same environment which i think is fantastic well, that works at the narrative level doesn't it in, ter- yeah. in, ter- in terms of what do we think about unions so that's stronger unions and yeah. that i mean i think that's you know i hope listeners have found that a useful informative uh, discussion as a way of, of almost orientating around what's going to happen next week but there's no doubt that that actually that's not going to be the biggest show no the 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 issues to do with the economy and particularly given the precise circumstances we're in on brexit are probably going to dominate things. Yes. Uh, there's a section of, of motions on Brexit, uh, about eight, nine motions, some very general about workers' rights and about, uh, about macroeconomic details, and then some, very interestingly, about specific sectors, creative arts, uh, about STEM on the technology side, health, uh, uh, of course. What, what did you kind of draw from those collection of, of motions, and, and, and how does that tie into the work that we're doing? That we're doing? Well, I, I mean... So I suppose I might then answer the second bit first 
and then go into why I find this is really interesting is that we've just started a project now with Unions 21 Unions and some non-Unions 21 Unions around uh, Brexit and get well I've called it getting workplace ready for Brexit and essentially what that is about is looking kind of quite hard at the labour markets statistics in different industries and thinking not just well you know overall we know that seven percent of the uh, labour force is uh, are EU migrants or EU nationals I think probably is a better way of, of saying that but that is not the same across the board and it's certainly not the same uh, figure when you look at different occupations in the different industries. Yeah, I imagine there must be some quite significant fluctuations in that. There are, and, and in some industries, I mean, what, what I found really interesting is that in most of the industries we looked at, there was a, a heavy skew to professional and technical and semi-skilled workers being EU nationals, uh, except for retail, which is kind of like a U-shape. You've got quite a lot of uh, EU nationals at kind of the professional technical end and then quite a lot of EU nationals at the kind of um, uh, lower skilled end of the labour force. Um, and what I would, what we've sort of been talking about and thinking about as a group of unions is, well, what does this mean in terms of skill shortages? What does this mean in terms of workforce planning? What does this mean in terms of how the workforce feel about coming into the UK and we had a um, parliamentary launch yesterday to talk to MPs and industries about this and to start a conversation with them about it and there was a couple of things that really came home to me. The first one is is actually how people feel who are doing the jobs who might be affected by this, who are in the UK right now and how they feel about uh, how you know, the vote affected them, but also how it affects them at work and how it affects their family. And then you kind of, you know, if you were looking at it from a bit of a, a more business case uh, way, what does that mean in terms of people's productivity? What does that mean in terms of how they feel about work? Does that mean that they're actually now thinking, well, look, I've been in the UK for four years. I haven't hit whatever thresholds. I might, I might start moving now because it's going to be really uncertain about where I'm going to be. Uh, that was that was the thing that really struck me, and there was a uh, I was going to say a fantastic. It's not fantastic, but it, it's a really stunning figure that the RCM uh, talked about, and they said that it was replicated across the NHS, across the health sector. Is that pre the, the Brexit vote, I had forty uh, midwives come into the UK per month to become midwives. Uh, EU midwives coming in to work in the UK and to work in the NHS and now that number's down to four so that's something like a 96% drop now if you already think that how stretched our public sector services are already how we're already losing an awful lot of staff to say in the health sector to Canada and, and Australia what's that going to mean going forward and the third thing that sprung to mind that we're talking to unions and employers about is actually this workforce planning and there are going to be things where unions and employers broadly agree especially around skill shortages and how we can kind of work together on that and 
there was a fantastic example of the NHS employers and the NHS unions working together to form the Cavendish Coalition. Yeah, which which affects England rather than Scotland, well, it's Northern Ireland, but nevertheless... It, it does, but what... what, 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 what 1.4 million employees embraced yeah. by this, this sector-level forum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they are commissioning joint research on labour force, they're commissioning joint research on best practice, on the views of the workforce, which is going to inform the work of both the employers and the unions and the coalition as a whole in terms of how it presents arguments to government, uh, to the political parties going forward. And it was great as well that, that although we had contributions uh, from the union side and the employ- employer side, at the launch of our Brexit forum yesterday, we also yeah. had representatives from PACT, which is the Independent Producers Association in the creative industries. And, yeah. and so that's great. This is this, We are broadening this out. And actually, there's a template that we think is worth pursuing, I, I, yeah, I, no, I, absolutely. I guess, because it is solution-orientated and it recognises that unions are absolutely central to the, to the debate and the, and the solution. Yeah, uh, and you know, you could you could be cynical and say, well, that's great. That's a that's a you know, f- that's first base on the level to sector level level bargaining. Yes, it may be, and yeah, yeah, I personally I think it is. But there's a more immediate task, which is to work out what the hell is happening for three million EU nationals yeah. who are working in the UK at, at, at the moment, and and you'll hear. Uh, snippets from the contributors yesterday in, the, in this podcast and what the common theme in all of them is Britain's changed it's not our fault we're here to do a good job we're, pr- we're producing not consuming we're giving not, not taking why can no one give us a clear answer yeah yeah and, and I think that that is definitely something that as unions and employer side can work together to push for more of an answer I think it's in everybody's best interest to get a more kind of um, a more thoughtful plan. What I find really interesting is the CBI called for a business roundtable uh, with government to look at you know how to handle Britain exiting the EU, and we unions twenty one unions at the time actually this needs to be a workplace forum. Absolutely, and of course. I, and I have to say I think you know from the, the parliamentary launch yesterday. That, to me, is still completely in my mind because there's a lot of talk about trade, there's a lot of talk about customs union, but there actually isn't an awful lot of talk around what this means for people in workplaces and in industries. The people of the industries matter, I think, just as much, if possibly not more, than the kind of the wider trade agreements that will take place. Absolutely, and this is, this is not like emotional or, or woolly-hatted flim-flam, you know, soft-hearted liberalism or whatever. This is a hard economic argument about yeah. productivity, about jobs, about competitiveness. And about skill and, shortages. And about skill shortages. But let's, let's listen to some of those voices now. So there are around 1,400 NHS midwives in England who we know are nationals of other EU member states. We don't know the nationalities of all midwives. Um, it's not recorded for all of them because the need to record that is a more recent uh, uh, initiative. So the true figure will actually be higher than that. 
bad. And of course, that's just England. There are more in Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. And right now, England is short of the equivalent of around 3,500 full-time midwives. The key and dominant issue in the NHS at the moment is one of skill shortages amongst clinical staff, and that's for any group, effectively. That level of shortage is creating intense pressure and strain on our charity units. So just think how bad things would be without those 1,400 midwives. And it's not just midwives, around 1,200 NHS surgeons in England are from elsewhere in the EU, almost 800 paediatricians, over 300 cardiologists, 200 cancer specialist doctors, 200 paramedics, and so on and so on. No need to worry, I'm sure you're thinking. Uh, we're not going to be deporting people post-Brexit, hopefully. But EU nationals trained and ready to work as midwives in the NHS and in those other disciplines have already pretty much stopped coming. They look at Britain and many now see a big sign telling them that they're not welcome here. The professions regulator, the Nursing and Midwifery Council, publishes numbers of how many people from elsewhere in the EU are registering with them so that they can start practicing as midwives here in the UK. In June last year, 36 EU midwives registered one month. Uh, in June this year, it was two. A 94% drop in 12 months. In March and April, just one single midwife per month from another EU member state registered with the NMC and that's before we've erected any bureaucratic obstacles to incoming EU nationals. Read across for that for nurses and for other professions and so on. Our EU midwives and other NHS staff need clarity and certainty as soon as possible. First and foremost, it's the right thing to do. It's not acceptable to use those people as bargaining chips. And it may also help us stem the growing outflow of workers. After all, the numbers of EU nationals leaving the UK is up more than a third last year as well. So we've got a problem of people coming in and people leaving. I do not recognise this country. It has been the most welcoming place I've ever, ever seen before. And something has, has been broken. People seem to look at each other suspiciously. What did he do? What did she do? Same as me? Is it worth speaking to? I am French. I am fond of history as well. I was so impressed by the British temper. The reason why Europe has been created. But well, do you next time I have visited Babylon Skins? Do we put jam or cream first? Because I'm bored. <laughs> British people is the only people to have resisted the Nazi from day one to the last day until the last day. Don't forget that. I shall never forget that. But where is this time gone? Don't worry, you'll be fine. If you knew how many times I heard that. Please, let me say that I can't stand the sentence anymore. It's even worse than, uh, are you French? You're English, much better than my French. <laughs> How can you know that I'll be fine? Nobody can. People just don't know. People speculate. They speculate on their peers' life. In my family, 
the four of us are contributing more than we cost. We pay tax here, we contribute to the NHS, we are part of the British economy, at least by shopping every week. Um, I'm here today to um, burst your assumptions. Number one, I'm female. <laughs> my name is Laurence. The male version of my name is Laurent, and you have a lot of men in this country with a girl's name. <laughs> Hillary, Lawrence. Um, number two, as you can tell from my accent, I am not from these shores. I'm French-American. I'm your worst nightmare. Um, I'm an actress and voiceover artist, and I can already tell these assumptions in your head. Um, Mark Carney and I were classmates at Harvard. I'm a Phi Beta Kappa graduate of Harvard University in Linguistics. I hold a master's in computer science with distinction. I hold a diploma in translation and have studied 18 languages. And I make funny voices for a living. <laughs> I am your typical performer. I am your typical, typical actor. And I think one of the issues my sector faces is that there's a lot of assumptions about what performers are. First of all, we're in excess. We're frivolous, we all live in bedsits, we, you know, live on the dole until the next big job comes. Nothing could be farther from today's truth. Now the reason why I bring that up is that our sector could well be in crisis because of Brexit. You may have seen the figures recently which showed that the film industry has contributed quite a healthy amount to GDP, which is great. But that's on the surface. Because here's the issue. We are the product. Our voices, our figures, our performances, we are the product. If you stop freedom of movement, that product dies. Yes, you can be very proud of Game of Thrones and Harry Potter, but if freedom of movement is stopped in the way you want, Game of Thrones is gonna to go to Ireland, and the Northern Ireland industry is going to die overnight. And all that money that's going into the UK Treasury will be gone. Okay. So much multilingual work comes here. And it's not just the big stuff like the Bond film. It's the corporate stuff. When IBM needs to roll out 26 different versions of its manual, they come to London to record it. Because London has 26 different nationals who are going to speak that language fluently. Or they did up until the referendum. We add to the GDP, we create British jobs, we're not taking British jobs. But as Xavier so eloquently said, since the referendum, I've been here 30 years, I'm being told, go home. We don't want you, you're a burden. Now one of the differences we have with, say, the NHS is that with the NHS, you're losing workers. With my industry, you're going to lose employers. It's a very mobile global industry. Supporting backroom staffs at football clubs. And uh, I'm here to represent a big part of our society that is not, no longer just entertainment and the number one sport in this country. Um, but it is a big part of the economy as well. Um, and um, there is no doubt about um, the fact that the Premier League, which is the most valuable league in the world today, is the most valuable league um, with the help of foreign talent, European talent, 
if some of you who support football think about your own clubs, just think of the players that spring to your mind. You know, I'm Arsenal, so I think of Dennis Bergkamp, Thierry Henry, just as much as I think of Ian Wright. I do think Ian Wright was always the best player when he played alongside Dennis Bergkamp. And uh, that is the experience that I made myself as well from a very young age. Well, those voices that you heard from the Union's 21 Brexit Forum were in order of appearance. Uh, John Skews, Director of Employee Relations and Policy for the Royal College of Midwives. Xavier, a prospect uh, rep. Laurence Bouvard, uh, a member of Equity. And Maurice Voltz for the PFA, Professional Footballers Association. The meeting then turned to take questions uh, from the floor, and there was one very striking uh, contribution from Breda Hughes, the Director for the Royal College of Midwives in Northern Ireland. Here's what she had to say. Director, and I represent and support members who live in the only part of the UK that has a land border with another EU country, and a significant, small, <coughs> significant number of midwives every day cross that border. They live in the south and they work in the north, and they're joined in their hundreds by nurses, GPs allied health professionals and at this moment in time they travel freely backwards and forwards across that border every day no letter hindrance and what we're hearing on the ground is the minute anybody makes that one bit harder for them they will stop traveling across the border the south of ireland is as short of healthcare professionals as the uk and the people who currently choose to work in the uk at this moment in time have watched their pay erode and erode and erode as the pound has lost value. They're working in the part of the UK with the lowest nationally agreed wages anyway. And the minute somebody in the Republic offers them the job, and on the one hand, and on the other hand, the UK says, and now you must have a visa or a work permit, or we will stop you every day as you travel across the border because there will be a checkpoint. They're going to walk. They're going to take that expertise with them and bear in mind it takes three years to grow a midwife to the point of qualification and it's here. It then probably takes another three or four years before they're highly skilled in their job and we need them next March. Encapsulating the situation uh, perfectly and profoundly was the FDA's General Secretary, Dave Penman. That's actually really interesting. It's, it's, it's fascinating hearing from you, from the nationals, about what they feel like. And it's good to know the problems, but we need solutions because the reality of it is negotiations have started. And it is civil servants who will be conducting those negotiations. It's civil servants who, as a wee small hours, will be doing the hard work that, that hopefully determine a positive rather than, or more positive rather than completely negative outcome from this. But that is a civil service that has been decimated by this government and the previous government. Well, everyone fixates on Boris Johnson's position uh, and all the politics and so forth that's been on. The civil service has been asked to deliver its single biggest project since the Second World War, following a 20% cut in resources in the last parliament and a 20% cut in resources in this parliament. And other than the two main departments, the new one that was created International Trade and DEXU, there's not been a penny extra being given. So every department that has to assess whether it's health, whether it's DCMS when it comes to sport and culture, they're having to do that and support the negotiations at the same times that they are delivering 
trade and cuts. So if we want a positive outcome of this, my plea to the parliamentarians in this room is scrutinise this government for how it's resourcing the civil service to deliver a positive uh, outcome in Brexit, not just on the big issues around single market and the, um, the so-called problem. After the Brexit Forum, I managed to catch up with Vic Taylor, who's a national official at the FDA, but also a Unions 21 fellow who'd done most of the legwork to make the event the success that it was. Now, if you're interested in becoming a fellow with Unions 21 and working more closely with us on certain projects, please do have a look at the relevant section of the website. But above the humdrum of the uh, Paul Callis House Cafe, I asked Vic what her main takeaways from the day's event had been. It's really useful to get a really a broad overview across a number of different sectors and I think you know, Brexit is such a wide-reaching issue. Um, it d doesn't matter if you work in the civil service, like a lot of bar members, or in the creative industries, or wherever else it's going to be, it's going to impact on everyone. And I think having, um, having some input from voices from across different sectors just really paints the picture um, about how this is going to work across the country um, when Brexit starts to take shape and we start to see what's going to happen. Um, I think it's also really useful to have some input from um, from an employer's perspective and to see how things are working um, with the negotiations around health and what that's going to look like in the future and to see that you know there are ways of working collaboratively to get the best deal for members, for individuals, but also for businesses and industries. Um, yeah, the story was very striking, wasn't it? That obviously we had the Cavendish Coalition where we yeah. had uh, NHS England represented yeah. as an employer, but we also had pacts from the creative industries and, and the contribution to say that, that jobs and industries are at risk, not just, not just uh, in individuals. Do, do you see that the format we saw in that first meeting of the Brexit Forum is one that, that you would like to see continuing and, and being replicated to, to increase the range of sectors and the range yeah. of testimonies that we we hear. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been really positive just from sort of facilitating this and working with Unions 21 to get this organised. We've been approached by both um, employers and unions to sit around the table and have a conversation around what this means and how they can be really proactive. And I think it's that, you know, we've had some really good examples, as you said today, from PACT and from NHS England about how they're being proactive and they're talking to unions. And that's what the message we want to get across is that engaging with unions who know about the issues on the ground is a really positive way of starting these conversations early before we get to a point where Brexit is running away from us and, and it feels like everyone's scrambling. So I guess one of our main messages is be proactive, get involved with us. We're happy to set things up, we're happy to facilitate conversations like this where we can be really open and honest about both the individual concerns but the concerns that are coming from employers and from businesses as well. well certainly there's a, there's a desperate need for that as well and mm. I was also struck though and I don't know if this point occurred to you that, that we had we had the Cavendish Confederation, John Skews and, and, and his counterpart from NHS England, say, saying, look, there's been not enough evidence. We need evidence on which to base policy. Uh, we're being criticised, perhaps fairly by government, for not being concise enough, coherent enough about mm -hmm. evidence. And then straight after that contribution, bang, 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 you have three fantastic personal testimonies that were very subjective and emotionally driven. And it's almost that people might make their minds up on facts, but it's emotions that will drive people to action and do you think it's 
possible? Would you share that view, and do you think it's possible to reconcile the two? Yeah, I think it's really difficult. I mean, if we're, if we're looking at Brexit and what it is, it's completely unprecedented. So it's it's really it would be really useful to have some facts and to have another example of where this has happened and how it's worked. You know, with another nation leaving the EU, but it's not happened before. So I mean, we can do lots of research around the data, around the numbers that Unions 21 has produced, around the percentage of you know EU migrant workers in different sectors. But a lot of this is uncharted, and the thing that makes it so um, such a big story and such a big thing for you know EU nationals and UK citizens is that it's going to have an impact on your personal life and I agree with some of the sentiments of um, the speakers today about sitting up and thinking about what's going to happen with Brexit you know and how this is going to play out afterwards as well. Absolutely I mean I know from the EU nationals who I work with who are friends of mine they 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 are worried you can see it in their eyes and in in their demeanour and it's I mean I think I think probably most listeners would share the acute feeling of, of, of frustration and embarrassment that these are people who have enriched our country and yet Absolutely. we can't give them any certainty at a time of density. Well, I mean, well done. A really good event. Oh, and you. thanks for spending the time talking no to problem. us. Well, I think you'll agree they were pretty powerful voices uh, that came out of our Brexit Forum meeting uh, earlier this week. And if you want to find out more about our work on Brexit and, and making sure the workers' voice is central and, and listened to and respected, you can find it on the Unions 21 website. And, and if you're at Congress, you might want to come along to our uh, internal launch of our Brexit project, which is called Getting Workplace Ready. It looks at three different unions and what they're doing internally to prepare for Brexit ahead of the launch of a new toolkit for unions that they can use to help prep internally for Brexit. Um, when and where is that happening? That's 12.30 at the West Bar on Monday. Great. Well, there we go. We hope to, we hope to see you there. And watch out for further uh, initiatives under the, the Brexit Forum banner as well. But this is not the only thing that Unions 21 is doing, is it, Becky? What else is on, on our horizon? On our horizon at the moment. Well, as this is our first uh, podcast... Uh, I'll tell you all the different projects that we've got going on at the moment. So obviously Brexit is quite an important one, but there are two other uh, major projects that we're undertaking at the moment. The first one is around young professional workers in the economy and what they think about the world of work. We did a study last year called The Changing World of Work, which looked at uh, where people are going to work in the next five to ten years. What that didn't look at is actually what do people in those industries actually think about their place in the economy, their position, their financial position, their career prospects, and also how they view unions and how they view being part of a wider collective as opposed to just being on their own at work. Um, So that starts in September and finishes in January. We're doing that with the uh, Sheffield Political and Political Economy Research Institute. Sperry. Sperry Sperry for short, which I like to keep to because it's a bit easier to say. Uh, We're really pleased we can work with them. They're a super... switched on research group and it's a good good collaboration they're a great they're great uh, people we're really pleased to work with them and then we're also doing so kind of harking back to uh, the other uh, uh, congress motions we're doing a project on future of unions Uh, and that's actually going to kind of touch base on some of the things that cwu motion 
So that is actually going to touch base on some of the aspects of the CWU motion. We're going to be looking at, well, actually, where are unions in relation to the wider labour market? What kind of um, projects have unions taken on recently which have made a difference to organising and to going into new industries? What kind of changes a union's going to have to make going forward we don't have the i think what's really interesting with this is that we don't have the answers yeah but the, the problem is at the moment we're, we're so far away from from harnessing examples of best practice disseminating those examples helping unions learn from each other that's that's the key win i think yeah yeah for, absolutely. From that. We, we you know it's like it's like looking into a fog at the moment and we need to get clarity there for sure yeah and i also think it's really important to recognize the fact that we don't have all the answers all the time and that some of the stuff that we do here especially at unions 21 is not about telling unions what to do it's just about kind of showing best practice and different kind of case studies and saying to unions you know what maybe you'd like to consider this in the way in which you're working and I think that the future of unions paper is definitely going to um, give unions a good flavor of how they may wish to change how they might wish to stay the same um, but fundamentally ask the question of do we need to change and how do we change if, Indeed. if so? Gosh, so a busy few months ahead. And if you want to be part of the conversation, uh, then visit our website, www.unions21.org.uk. Become a supporter, either as a branch, as a national union, as an individual. Um, all the details are, are, are on the website. Uh, for you to uh, for you to pick up and hopefully act upon. So as we get to the end of this first Unions 21 podcast... Yay! Well, <laughs> gosh, um, how was it for you? No, it, it was... was <laughs> <laughs> We've only been here for five hours, listeners. That's fine. No, no, that's no, fine. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we hope you'll come back for more. We'll, we'll, there'll be another one uh, published uh, to reflect on Congress in about a week's time and thereafter hopefully at two weekly in interviews do email us at info at unions21.org.uk if you've got any comments or views or feedback we'd love to hear from you in the meantime this is me simon sapper and me becky wright saying thanks for listening and goodbye <laughs>